I'm Bob Sullivan, the new host of AARP's The Perfect Scam Podcast. And with Frank Abagnale and other top fraud experts, we're bringing you brand new episodes of America's most shocking scam stories. I got an email alerting me to 22 accounts that had been opened up in my name. Scam was masterfully designed. New episodes available now. Subscribe to The Perfect Scam Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Bob Sullivan, the new host of AARP's The Perfect Scam Podcast. And with Frank Abagnale and other top fraud experts, we're bringing you brand new episodes of America's most shocking scam stories. I got an email alerting me to 22 accounts that had been opened up in my name. Scam was masterfully designed. New episodes available now. Subscribe to The Perfect Scam Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Allie J. And I'm Crystal O. And welcome to Not Your Token Black Girl, where we recover from spreading black girl magic wherever we go. From careers and cocktails to men and mental health, we're breaking it all down on what it means to wear the token crown. So if you've ever said, I'm not your token, fill in the blank, then this podcast is for you. A fun and witty show that's a little bit shady, but 100% true. It's Saturday brunch combo with the girls in a quick 20 minutes. Now let's get started. On today's episode of Not Your Token Black Girl, we're discussing the disparity in maternal health care Black women receive with medical professional Dr. Lindsay Bradley. So today on the pod, we have Dr. Lindsay Bradley. And fun fact, I grew up with this incredible woman. So we're excited to have her join us today. So Dr. Bradley, tell us about yourself. Well, thank you guys again so much for having me. Um, Yes, Crystal has been one of our oldest family friends. We grew up doing ballet together. Um, And to see you come this far, not only professionally in motherhood, it's so incredible to see. Thank you. But uh, a little about me, Um, I grew up here in uh, Plano, right outside of Dallas. Um, After finishing high school, I already knew that I was interested in pursuing medicine. Um, So I went to Vanderbilt University with the intention of doing an interdisciplinary sociology, psychology major. Um, that specifically focused on the social determinants of health and sort of was set up to provide all of the background medical training that one would not get just from taking um, your regular pre-med recs. Um, So after I completed undergraduate, I found my way out to UCLA where I did a four-year anesthesia residency, which I just completed um, this past June. And I just started a one-year fellowship in interventional pain management at uh, UT Southwestern Parkland. She's got tons of degrees. So I can't wait to pick her brain. Um, So thank you so much for telling us about your journey. Talk to us about, um, obviously you have a very unique 
perspective. You are a black female practicing medical doctors. And obviously right now we're living through a global pandemic, which brings tons of issues for everyone. But specifically, we're seeing data coming out that how it is disproportionately affecting black and brown communities. And often the backbone of those communities are women. So I want to talk to you today about the disparity um, between the healthcare that black women receive versus their white counterparts, and specifically the disparity in healthcare that they receive on their path to motherhood. Um, like you said, I'm a mom of one, and I know after I had my C-section, you and I talked about if I should have a second C-section when I'm ready to have my second, if I should just talk about all these things when you came to me, Aria. Alex is a stepmom um, with plans of having her own baby one day, yeah. um, birth baby, I should say, one day. So we really want to get your take on kind of what we're up against being Black moms in America. Yes. Um, so yes, I'm, I'm so glad that we're talking about this topic because I think it unfortunately is something that doesn't um, really get enough attention or credit until uh, something unfortunate or tragic happens. Um, and I think before we get into sort of what Black women face in particular, taking a step back um, and just looking at U.S. American women as a whole, um, they have the highest rate of maternal death um, in the developed world. Approximately two women a day in the US uh, pass away from complications from pregnancy. And it's estimated that 50% 50 50 of those uh, were preventable. So meaning that uh, possibly uh, someone wasn't taken to the OR early enough or certain signs uh, were sort of waited too long to uh, pursue. Um, and looking back when we do these root cause analysis and sort of go back over things, uh, you see where uh, interventions could have potentially uh, happened earlier. Um, so unfortunately, um, that is the situation in the US as a whole. Um, and then for African American women, um, they are at an even greater disparity, uh, being three to four times more likely to pass away from pregnancy or delivery complications uh, than their uh, majority counterparts. And even when you control for all of the socioeconomic factors, uh, education levels, access to healthcare resources, uh, that disparity still exists. Um, the uh, statistic that a, an African-American woman with an advanced degree um, is more likely to have a delivery-related complication or a preterm birth than a uh, Caucasian teen mother. Wow. Yeah. So wh why, right? I like that you took us a step back and said, okay, let's look at American women as a whole. Um, being perceived as one of the strongest nations on the planet, um, one of the most advanced nations on the planet, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> That's a different conversation <laughs> for a different day. 
why are so many American women dying at such a greater rate than our other developed nation counterparts? What is, what is your opinion on that? I think part of it um, has to do with stress um, and just the way uh, American society is built, um, not only uh, with more stressors or different stressors than um, other type of developed societies who have incorporated, um, you know, more support from the government and um, just the notion of resting and how that can be a therapy and uh, just a way to live your life. So you have this sort of American notion of the continual grind um, without any relief. And then you get into the stress-related complications uh, that can happen. And I think it's something that even a lot of my patients sort of really underestimate when I ask them, you know, like, are you stressed right now? What are the major stressors in your life? And every now and again, you know, people will be like, oh, what's, what's that really have to do with, you know, why I'm here to see you? I'm here to see you because I'm in pain. And I'm like, well, because it really impacts everything. Um, it's why, you know, our blood pressure and rate of cardiac disease is higher. You know, we live at this constant sort of ramped up state um, that just adds to a deterioration and decline uh, in our health over the years. And I'll add to that because I'm, you know, just speaking clearly non-medical background, like this is just my idea of things. But, you know, I think a lot of it is systemic too, right? Like the same, the same things that we deal with within society as Black people and as Black women trickles down, those same types of things trickle down into the medical system, right? We don't, there's only what, 2% of Black female doctors and in gynecology, it's like limited, real, maybe like 0.01. So, you right. know, you pair that with the fact that there's all these things that happen in society, the, the stresses of being a Black person in society, right? Um, and then, you know, I think that is a big contributor to the reason that Black women have these issues with childbirth, right? Um, I think another thing that I think of, we have a high rate of C-sections, right? Like yeah. out of most women. Yeah. And I can honestly say, and this is just from me being around Black women um, that ha are giving birth, there is this, you know, and I'm, I have not had a child yet, so I can't speak to how that feeling is. But I have been in a room where the doctor's almost pressuring the woman to just, let's get a C-section so you can get it over with kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I see a very different situation with my friends that aren't Black, right? Mm -hmm. They, most of them have had natural childbirths. Right. So not only in this cost associated with that come into play, which I think is a huge thing, um, the recovery of that, right? And then just like you, you said, those stresses, um, you know, having, having a person of color has been extremely important to me when thinking of becoming a mother. Um, and I know I talked to Crystal a lot about it because I live in Austin. So there's not, I think we have literally four 
black female gynecologist in Austin. And you guys all got four. We have four. That's wow. it. And I've That's seen cool. all four of them. Um, <laughs> literally, I've went and one of them, I didn't like bedside manner. The other are too far away in town. And then the last one works for a low income place. And it's like, I can't get the same attention that I need. So then you're very limited. But I feel like having a shared experience is another thing that we lack as black women when we're looking for gynecologists. You know, it's like, they, there's a sense of like, um, and this goes way back. I don't know if we want to go history deep, but like, what is his name? Dr. Marion, um, like Marion Sims. He was like the guy that was doing all the, the, um, research using enslaved women, right? <laughs> research so, quotation marks. Yeah. Research <laughs> on right. enslaved women. And basically he, all under this guise of like black women, black people don't feel pain. And sometimes I still feel like that notion has tripped is one of those things that's trickled down because I have went, I I've had, and I'll just be transparent. I had a ruptured cyst when I was 22 years old that almost killed me. And I remember going to the doctor multiple times saying, Hey, like something hurts, something's bothering me. Something hurts. I went to the emergency room multiple times and the they just kept saying, you're fine. Like they were giving me birth control to regulate like all this stuff. And I kept saying, no, I swear y'all, like something is really hurting me. Like I'm not tripping. And then, you know, so then three days later after I leave an emergency room visit where all they do is give me birth control and tell, think that I'm just trying to get drugs at that point is what I, yeah. at 22 years old. Right. Um, I have a ruptured cyst where I like damn near have to get a blood transfusion. So it's like, it's still those same things that happen systemically, not to get like super deep about it, but that's, how do you feel about that? And what are your thoughts on, on the, the racism that in, exists in medicine that then makes, makes these things like women having, uh, black women having harder rates of, higher rates of bad pregnancies and stuff? Yes. Um... Thank you so much for sharing that story. I'm so sorry that you had that experience. Um, and I wish I could say that that was the first time that I had heard of uh, such things, but uh, unfortunately it's all too common. Um, I don't think that we're going too deep to talk about the uh, problems that black women face today uh, when they uh, begin on this journey of motherhood without talking about um, systemic racism and implicit bias, which I think leads to a lot of uh, missed calls and un unfortunately um, at our expense. I actually um, pulled up an article that I had read a long time ago, um, and it was published many years ago. It's called Racial Bias in Pain Assessment uh, Between Blacks and Whites. Um, and at the time, uh, they were actually polling medical trainees, and um, they found that 40% of medical trainees believed such falsehoods as Black people have less sensitive nerve endings than white people. Um, they believe that black people aren't as sensitive to pain. 
uh, as white people and therefore were less likely to treat black people's pain appropriately. Um, and when I said that I read this article many years ago, it was 2016. This is what medical trainees thought four years ago, which is mind boggling to me and absolutely astounding. Um, when, I mean, I know that I trained at UCLA, definitely a little bit more of a, a progressive uh, social uh, environment. Uh, but to think that within the last few years, we were still producing physicians and nurses with these thoughts ingrained in their heads. I mean, um, it's, it, it really just speaks to where we are as a nation and sort of how we have to be vigilant as Black women when we get on this journey uh, so that someone does not unintentionally um, cause harm to us by not recognizing our pain or any other symptoms that might come up just because they're thinking, oh, she's not in as much pain as she's saying, oh, she's just complaining or any of those sort of things, oh, she's just being hysterical or the dramatic black woman, you know, whatever stereotypes they want to force on us um, instead of looking at us objectively as a patient and a future mother and someone who has entrusted so much care uh, to someone, not only of you, but of, of, your, of your child that's about to be born um, and the family that you would leave behind if anything happened to you. Um, I mean, Crystal, I know that, I mean, having, I, again, I um, am not a mother yet. I hope to be one day. Um, but um, when you go into that operating room, I'm sure you have to be thinking not only of your husband and your baby, but also your mom, your sister, yeah. like you have an entire tribe behind you yeah. who could potentially lose you. Yeah, it was traumatic. Um, I think being a first time mom, at least for me, my experience was as good as it could be, but it was slightly traumatic for all of the reasons, um, Dr. Bradley, that you've mentioned, right? I know the statistics in the back of my head. I know it's already dangerous to be giving birth in, a, in America as a woman, even more dangerous because I am a black woman. Um, it's, I'm a first time mom, so, or I was a first time mom, so I didn't know what to expect, you know? Um, last season we, we had a Mother's Day special where we talked about like, what does a contraction feel like? And trying to give Alex insight, no one can, no one can fully prepare you because every, every woman's body is different, every baby is different. And so that's why on my journey, it was so important that I have a black female um, OBGYN who is also a mother. And that was incredibly hard to find. Um, my doctor has retired now, and so fortunately she was in practice with another Black female doctor who was also a mother. But I not only wanted someone who was a Black female, I wanted someone who had literally been in my shoes before. Right. So they knew the emotional side of it. So even if it wasn't 
that they typically had mediocre or sometimes bad bed bedside manner. In some situations, I'm willing to deal with that to have a top doctor, but I was hoping that they could look at me almost as themselves, right? You have literally walked in my shoes in the body that I'm walking and you have birthed a black child, which I am about to birth. So I was just hoping that all of those um, similarities in our life journeys would tip the hand in my favor, even if they don't mean to do it intentionally. It is that sometimes unconscious bias that we don't realize that's working against us. And so that's why it was so important. I mean, I started, I started going to this doctor that delivered Aria, gosh, almost a decade ago. And keep in mind, I was two. So I had been searching early in my 20s because I knew one day I wanted to become a mom. Um, so I knew if I was going to find all of the things that were important to me, I'm going to have to start that search early, especially living in the Dallas area, Plano. Um, you know, a lot of affluent African-Americans live on the South side. And that yeah. is easily a 45 minute to an hour trek for me. Well, if my water breaks, I don't have time for that. So I've got to find a black female OBGYN who's also had a baby within a 15 mile radius, that's a tall order. <laughs> um, but I had to keep going and I was even willing to not necessarily relocate out of state, but if I needed to move to the South side until I was done having children, I we were thinking about all of those things just to protect my life and our child's life, because you're so right. Oftentimes when we see these headlines, I know recently a young mother, I can't remember where she was, I think she was about 26, lost her life. And now um, her, the father of her child and that young child have to go on without her. And that's the easy connect. But as they're wheeling you into that operating room, I am thinking about my mom. Could she lose her daughter and her granddaughter? I'm thinking about my sister. Will this traumatize her where she won't want to have her own children? You know, thinking about my brother who could possibly one day have a black wife. Will this affect the way he looks at that experience. So they don't really talk about enough the trickle effect or the ripple effect, I should say, of when a Black mother loses her life. Um, was it due to racism? Did the doctor make the wrong call intentionally or unintentionally? So there's so, there's so much generational trauma and history wrapped into the birth of a Black child um, that is often set aside and we just focus on this is a beautiful experience you're becoming a mom for the first second third however many times but we often don't really do a deep dive on the dangerous journey that is bringing a black child into the world and specifically in america i couldn't agree more um and i'm so glad that you did that due diligence um and i i can't imagine i mean that's an incredible amount of work to um, do to find someone. Um, but unfortunately, um, that is what we, that's the extra task that we sh- sort of have to uh, take on as African American women. And then this sort of all once again feeds back into the stress that African American women deal with that other people don't have to deal with. So as every American is worried about unemployment rates, homelessness, political instability, there are specific things that 
uh, are unique to us as black women uh, that fall to us um, that doesn't get talked about enough and how these can potentially um, have an effect on a pregnancy and your journey into motherhood. So what do you recommend Black women look for when they're looking for an OBGYN or any doctor or any yeah, sex? Yeah. Whether That's what, what my thought from coming from a doctor, do you think that it's, you know, at, that we have a real concern across the board, like with all doctors, like we should be looking for Black doctors with shared experience to get the best, you know, treatment, I guess? I think that if that is an option, like if you live in a metroplex like DFW and you have the resources and ability to seek that out, I think that it can be very helpful. I don't think that it's 100% a requirement. Um, I, I do think that having that shared experience could make certain things easier. But I think as long as you find a physician who is willing to have those difficult conversations with you, um, because you never want to get into a situation where you're dealing with someone who's like, oh, I don't see the color of my patients. And, you know, it's, da, 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 da. You to it's see like, my color. right. It's like, okay, so you're, you don't, you don't see me then, like you're not seeing uh, the totality of who I am. I want you to see me as, as a black female. So I think looking for a physician who um, is willing to tell you, tell you about their experiences that they've had with their uh, mothers who are African-American, um, how any extra training that they've had, any extra discussions that they've had, um, and also just looking, I think having someone with a good bedside manner is important. If you think that their disposition is going to get any better as things start to get a little hairy, um, that is usually not the case. If they are a little uh, high strung, manic, rude in clinic seeing you and you are not pregnant, when you are pushing or when it's time to call an emergency C-section, that disposition is only going to get worse. So if you find someone who you vibe with, who's nice, who is willing to talk to you about your unique concerns and, dis and not dismiss them as being trivial, because again, this is, this is your life and um, you mean so much to so many people. Um, I definitely think having those conversations and seeking out those qualities is really important. Yeah, that, I think that that's excellent insight because um, I think our listeners know by now, I had, um, is it considered an emergency C-section? I'd labored all day and finally my doctor was like, yeah, we're cutting you open. Is that considered emergency? No, no, no. that's not. Yeah, that, that's just like, it's, it's time. <laughs> it is time. So what brought me comfort in that situation was I had a birth plan. Um, I went over the birth plan. We didn't use the birth plan because that's how birth plans go, at least 
most of the time. I love hearing a good birth plan. I love it for all my yes. pregnant ladies. I love a birth yes. plan. Yes, <laughs> um, but I felt stressed, obviously, as they started to prepare for the C-section and you're kind of wheeled in alone. Mike is left out while they kind of, you're almost crucifixion style. Your arms are spread out, your blue wall up and you feel them or you don't feel them because you've got an epidural, but you can hear them shuffling around and tools are clanking and different things like that. But the moment I saw my doctor come in, a black female mama and her, I don't know what you call them, counterpart, I guess her backup, what have, what have you. I had a team of black female doctors wow. that brought me so much comfort. Um, just knowing that I shouldn't be dealing with, um, with some unconscious bias, right? Like you can literally see your body in, in me laid out on this operating table. Um, and it brought me comfort that I know this woman did everything in her power to avoid having to slice me open. Not only did she do everything in her power to avoid what we inevitably had to do, um, she also counseled me through this and said, you know, I broke your water several hours ago. Like, mm -hmm you're fine. We can keep doing this, but she's not coming out naturally. And here is why. So I appreciated her explaining that to me and, mm -hmm. and tailoring it to me, not giving me a textbook answer, but saying, you know, the shape of your hips, your birth canal, this, that, looking at your mom versus your grandmother versus you. This is why they were able to have natural births. And this is why it is risky for you and your daughter to do this. That just made me feel so comfortable. I don't know if that's the right word. Confident more so because right. you're not comfortable in that situation at all. More confident that this doctor had done everything she could. And if she's saying after all of this research that she did on me and my, the women in my family, that this is the best call, I trust that she's going to get us through this delivery safely. Mm -hmm. There's, I can't imagine being in that situation and having any doubt about the doctor with a scalpel being able to deliver. Because Dr. Bradley, just like you said, we're not dealing with one life, we're dealing with two and a multitude that would be impacted if this went left. Um, so I, I want to stress to our listeners to do your research. And I know surprises happen. I was a surprise baby. Um, but you have nine months before it's D-Day, due day. Um, and so I've had friends who switch doctors in the middle of their pregnancy. I had a friend who switched in her final trimester because she was like, I don't feel comfortable with you. And I think sometimes we get conditioned to think like, once I'm with this doctor, I have to stay with this doctor throughout my whole pregnancy. No, you do not want a contraction to hit, a water to break, or a scalpel to come out. You have any lack of trust, you know, in the doctor that's about to change your life. hundred percent. I completely agree. Um, trust is such a key element, um, in those situations. Um, I would want that for any of, any of my patients. Um, but I, I agree with you that it is, excellent to take time to do your due diligence. Um, there isn't a simple answer for, you know, what can be done to minimize all of the risk. Um, but I think it's so important to just be having these conversations. And uh, one of the reasons why 
you, Crystal, and you, Ali, are, are so phenomenal is because you've created this space so that more awareness can be shed on a topic such as this. And so many times as African-Americans, we've ha we have had to sort of have each other's back and have the information to be passed down from your mother to you or from your sister to you or from a close friend. Um, so aside from doing your own research, it's like if you have this information um, and or if your listeners have this information, they'll be able to disseminate it to others. And I don't know, the way I always kind of think of it is, you know, I am my sister's keeper and what is done to you is done to me as well. Um, so, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. This has been so great. Thank you so much. I have so one more much. silly question. Oh, do you? I, okay. I kind of just want to ask, I mean, I can ask it offline. No, ask it. Cut it. <laughs> okay, because I research a lot. At what point does research and coming into the doctor and telling them like what you're like at what point is that annoying because I read on Twitter the other day this doctor was like yeah you googled it I have a medical degree but sometimes I'm like I know my body better than anybody why wouldn't right. I research first and then bring it in but does that annoy you guys as doctor as a doctor do you get really annoyed that's a good um, question so I'm, I'm gonna be one because I know you guys are real on here yeah. It when you, walk, when you walk into that room and you've seen, you know, about 12 patients already and you walk in to see someone and they've got a folder, papers. You can hear the papers shuffling outside and you walk in and someone is presenting all of this to you and it can sometimes be like so so what exactly did you need? Did, did you want to just talk this through or, you know what I mean? Because, um, you know, there there is a possibility that you could come in and, you know, you're, you're sort of thinking that it's one thing um, and you could potentially like lead me somewhere else. I could follow you there instead of like coming at it objectively oh, and looking at like, everything that I sort of see um and then you know all of a sudden we're both like chasing what we call like the zebra um the you know the red herring um and so now we're both like on the hook chasing this diagnosis that you know um so it it is a little annoying <laughs> when you walk in and you first see that um but I think I I'm probably a little less annoyed by it than most people since I went into interventional pain medicine and pain is such a subjective thing. I literally have to um, take people at their word <laughs> all the time. Um, and so I will listen to my patients. Um, and again, I agree with you that no one knows your body better than you do. Um, and I think that there is a middle ground after we get over that, you know, annoyance and after we both take a breath and you, you say your little spiel about what you think it is and what you've researched and, you know, um, I think that there can be 
a middle ground where I can tell you what I think it is and maybe you tell me something that I was not thinking about um, because you are an informed consumer. You're highly intelligent. I tell all my patients that this is supposed to be a partnership. I'm really trying to like dismantle this system of, you know, patriarchy. Like I'm not here to tell you what to do. Let's come up with something together, ideally. Um, but I have some patients who don't want that at all. They're like, <laughs> I'm a doctor via Google. <laughs> so keeping in your stuff. If you researched it, it if you took the time to look it up, I think there needs to be time made in the appointment to at least address it. I think that's totally fair. And if you but it is annoying, right? It it is a little yeah. annoying just when you see it initially. <laughs> I'm just saying that's maybe why bedside manner was off the last time. <laughs> yes, yeah, some people that will throw off the entire visit. I've seen physicians go into a room and a patient has some stuff that they've worked on and I know that it just like it was a barrier. But I think I think that's also I mean that's no fault of the patients that the physician went in there not able to get past that one that one little thing. Um, but yes, I will say on the whole, a lot of doctors find it annoying. Um, but you do what you got to do and you ask your questions and you make sure you understand what is going on and why the doctor thinks this is happening and why they would rather do this than what you researched and found in the New England Journal of Medicine. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> someone should have to explain that. Like, well, this is what everyone said online and you're telling me this. Can you at least like bridge, bridge the two together? I love that thought. Yeah. I hope more doctors will, will adopt that way of thinking. Man, yeah. But when Dr. Allie strolls in there with a binder, <laughs> right. I'm oh, just saying. I come with facts and sheets every time. I'm like, one in three women right. look like me. And they're like, ma'am, ma'am, can we do an exam first? Right. <laughs> can we get some blood work? Right, exactly. I'm like, uh, I'm not, I'm like, I'm not ready to call it, not ready to call it <laughs> cancer yet. I'm like, we yeah. got to you got to do some other stuff. And they're like, no, I, I know. And I'm like, I, I know, but we just, we just got to get some other information. And I'm uh, such a hypochondriac. I'm like, I know it's breast cancer. I know it's throat. I felt a lump. And they're like, ma'am, that's just a roll of fat. Like it's not, <laughs> like, calm it's not a lump. <laughs> oh, 100, I'm the same way. 100%. So I hope no one thinks that like doctors are immune to it. I go to my friends in medicine all the time with like some sort of this and they're like, it's still just the same lymph node I've been feeling for the past five years that hasn't changed. And I'm like, pretty sure it's bigger. And they're like, no, I have tried to convince my like co-residents that I had a clot in my leg and they were like, Mm, no, you're just swollen. Through <laughs> all the working you've been doing. Right, right. They're like, maybe you should sit more or get compression stockings because you're an old lady. So <laughs> um, it wasn't a DVT. So. See, yeah. I always think worst case scenario. 
100%. Oh, 100%. Um, but do you guys mind if I just share a quick story um, that I'm sure some of our, some of your listeners and you guys are familiar with, cause it's like a very well-known yes. um, story right now. Um, but I think it's important just to sort of mention um, while we're taking this time and space to talk about um, some inequalities and disparities uh, that black women face on this journey to motherhood. Um, but uh, last year, uh, Charles John, um, he testified in front of Congress about the inequalities that Black women uh, face um, regarding uh, maternal morbidity and mortality during childbirth. Um, he unfortunately tragically lost his wife, Kira, in April 2018 at Cedar sinai in Los Angeles, which is uh, supposed, which is a very good premier, you know, hospital um, and where a lot of people choose to go get their care, um, in, including um, a lot of very high profile people choose to go there to deliver. Um, but um, they already had one son at home. They were joyously awaiting uh, the birth of their second son. Um, they walked into what he said was supposed to be a routine C-section and everything actually went fine during the C-section. Um, and it was actually, he said, um, and I'll start quoting him now, uh, when he said they walked into a nightmare when they got into recovery. He said, as I was sitting next to her, reflecting in all this glow and pride, uh, I look at her bedside and I begin to see the catheter turn red with blood. I brought it to the attention of the nursing staff. The nurses at Cedars all came in. They said they were gonna do a couple of things. They were gonna run some tests. We're gonna order a CT scan to be performed stat. I was concerned, but I said, you know what? My wife is healthy. We're at one of the best hospitals in the world. I've concerned, but we've got a plan. The blood work comes back. It's abnormal. It shows that she's hemorrhaging or quickly losing blood. Uh, the CT scan that was ordered stat, um, which for us means that it needs to be done within the next few hours, ideally within the next 60 minutes if we order something stat. But that was ordered for 4 p.m. Her blood count continues to go down. 5 p.m. comes, 6 p.m. comes. He starts to say that she's starting to look pale. She's in a tremendous amount of pain. Still no CT scan, uh, 7 p.m., 8 p.m. He said, I'm begging, I'm pleading with the staff to do something. 9 p.m., I'm told, sir, your wife just isn't a priority right now. They say we need to do a blood transfusion. I'm asking, where's the CT scan? The CT scan wasn't done, unfortunately, until after midnight. We're in they get the results, they take her for emergency surgery back to the OR, they open up her abdomen, three and a half liters of blood rush out of her abdomen, she goes into cardiac arrest and codes on the table. Um, he ended his 
speech before Congress. Sorry, this story just always gets me like a little emotional because I mean, he ended that testimony saying, my wife deserved better, people all over this country deserve better. And I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think that is just sort of going back to having someone with that shared experience or having someone that you trust that you know is going to listen to your concerns, having someone who's there to advocate for you. Because as you, as you know, Crystal, like you're in a, you could be in a tremendous amount of pain. You're trying to deal with contractions. Like if you have someone else there to help make sure things are getting done and, you know, filter and handle things um, while you're focusing on, you know, bringing this baby into the world, um, that's so helpful. Um, but um, he actually set up a website for Kira for moms.com. And because of him, um, the government has allotted $60 million to be used um, for states to set up uh, maternal morbidity review boards um, so that if any person sort of passes away unexpectedly during childbirth, that case will be reviewed. I'm happy to say that Texas used that money and actually did form that review committee um, as of January of this year. Um, and so I think it's also important to check your state legislature, see if they have established this review committee, um, continue to call your state representatives to fight against the dismantling of the Affordable Care Act. Um, and hopefully we can on our side um, do our due diligence with training um, the next generation of healthcare providers to be better, do better, um, and and serve us better because it's what we deserve. Thanks so much for sharing that. Story. I to keep it together. Ooh. Yeah, I like literally am about to ball crying because every time I hear that story, I'm just like, it, it didn't have to happen. Like, it didn't right. have to happen. It's like our voices have to be heard, you know, especially in those situations. And I'm gonna let Crystal take over because this just like gets me every single time. <laughs> yeah to pull it together. Um, thank you so much for sharing that story with us and our listeners. Um, I think sometimes when we hear the stats, you know, two women in every day, um, it doesn't, it doesn't always drive it home. Um, but those are two women who could have changed our planet. Those are babies that could have, you know, who knows, cured cancer. Those are families that will never be the same. Like you said, this man and his wife had a son and they were expecting to add to their brood. And I'm not sure if the little one survived, but now this man has become a single father. This child, this son has lost his mother. And there is such a special bond between a black mother and her black son. Uh, and he will only have her in memories and in pictures now because of the arrogance nonchalant um, lack of care by the very people who her family entrusted um, to keep her and their unborn son safe. 
Um, and so when we hear two women a day and 50% are African-American, that's one African-American woman a day that we know of dying in situations where it never even had to happen. That's nearly 400 black women a year. How many babies is that? How many families are forever changed negatively um, and impacted so drastically um, because of errors that were completely avoidable? Yeah. So I want to make sure we hammer that um, home to our listeners. It's, 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 a, it's a happy time, but it's also a very serious time. Um, and it's important that you look at it in all the seriousness and that you do your homework, you do your due diligence and never stop advocating for yourself. Um, even though when Alice come, or Allie comes in with a whole case, she is advocating for herself. And in this right, sad right. case, we see when you've got top doctors, you're in a top facility, you've got a husband advocating for you, and it still goes left. Imagine if he hadn't been advocating or um, how much more traumatic um, or how quickly it could have spiraled out of control, possibly during labor or in birth, or you just never know. So um, be informed, advocate for yourself, um, and make sure you take care of yourself and your little ones coming into the world. This is Allie J. And I'm Crystal Lowe. And that's it for this week. Be sure to tune in next Sunday at 12 p.m. Central for another episode of Not Your Token Black Girl. And also be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google. And follow me at Basic Allie on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at the Crystal O. Two kinds of bacon and all kinds of delicious. Say hello to Donato's new Bacon Duo pizzas. Two pizzas, each with two kinds of bacon. Try the new Pepperoni Bacon Duo with pepperoni, Canadian bacon, and hardwood smoked bacon. And the Chipotle Bacon Duo with Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Now get $2 off a large Bacon Duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important. Donato's just didn't add bacon to their pizzas. They added bacon to their bacon. It's Donato's new Bacon Duo pizzas. Two pizzas, each with two kinds of bacon. Try the new Pepperoni Bacon Duo with pepperoni, Canadian bacon, and hardwood smoked bacon. And the Chipotle Bacon Duo with Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Now get $2 off a large Bacon Duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important.